The Oxford Sparks Podcast, Episode 7, Artificial Intelligence, Part 1. We're carrying around a lot of powerful technology in our pockets and bags. Hello, phone. What's the temperature in Oxford this afternoon? The high for this afternoon will be 18 degrees Celsius and the low will be 16 degrees Celsius. We pick up our smartphones and we we talk to them and they tell us what the weather's going to be like and we really take that for granted but there's a huge sophistication behind all that. There's enormous cleverness has gone on for years to make machines that can understand as we mumble into them what we want and then respond with something sensible. I'm Steve Roberts, I work in the University of Oxford and I'm really interested in using artificial intelligence and machine learning to discover interesting things in big data sets. Here's a big question to wrap your brain around. When we talk about artificial intelligence, what do we mean? Mm, It's a fantastically good question. And the honest answer is, I don't think any of us really know, probably because we don't really know and understand what it means to be intelligent or conscious as a human being or an animal let alone to be able to define what it means to be conscious or intelligent in an artificial sense. But it does seem like computers understand us, or do they? If you and I weren't talking in a conversation, we were just typing words on a screen, would I know that you were a human being rather than a computer responding to me? It's a really good question and right now AI is at a point where just this year a system beeped the Turing test. People were not able to realise that the thing they were communicating with was a computer rather than another human being. If we were having this conversation even 10 years ago, I would say there's a lot of human knowledge goes in. We would design an algorithm, a computer program, which was designed with all that we know about the way we understand language or the world around us, and we would replicate that in software and then use that to look at observations or the world or what we're saying and it would try and make sense of it. What has been really revolutionary in the last five years is the realisation that you can take algorithms which don't know anything, they don't start with anything other than a capacity to learn and you throw at them vast amounts of data example after example after example of people talking and what the words are that they were saying. People writing something in one language and a translation in another language. And all you're doing is asking the computers to try and find some structure that takes you from the spoken word to the written word or from one language to another. And amazingly, after quite some time, takes a long time with lots of data, but these algorithms can work out for themselves how to do these translations. And they're at the heart of all the amazing things that happen when we talk to our phones and our computers and so on nowadays. An algorithm is essentially the steps you have to take to solve a problem or carry out an action. It's a bit like finding a law of physics. It's about looking at the world around you, scratching your head for a very long time, observing huge number of things. And then eventually there's a eureka moment where a simple representation of all of those complex things can be written down 
And that's really what these machines are doing. They're taking a huge amount of data and they're finding that simple way of describing how the process should be done. Once you've found that simple method, then you can encode it and use it on a handheld device or just on your laptop. And, uh, but all, you'd never have got there without that enormous process of learning. And really it is a process of learning. So in many ways, this is about learning. Is it intelligent? Very difficult to say. It's certainly artificial. So whilst the jury is still out on whether these machines are intelligent, computers are much faster at learning than humans are. They can sift through vast amounts of data that is at a scale beyond what is human. For example, it takes years for a person to learn a language, whereas in principle it can take a machine just weeks or months. It's listening to words being spoken, more words than a person would listen to in their whole lifetime. Uh, seeing translations of more sentences than a person would ever come across in their lifetime. So th this is about learning on a very, very grand scale. But autonomously carrying out some of the simplest tasks is still really difficult for machines. Why is this? It turns out that machines may be faster at processing and spotting patterns in huge amounts of data, but... Making sense of it and using it and expanding upon it making links between threads of information which are not necessarily obviously links is something that seems to be intrinsically human at present. So the robots and computer programmes of science fiction are still just that, fiction, and it'll be down to creating a strong ethical base to make sure that these new technologies aren't used for potentially bad purposes. But how can we make use of these learning machines and artificial intelligences now? So my main interests are in using many of these ideas to look at large amounts of data from, um, from the sciences. Traditionally, science involved people working really hard to take a small number of very careful measurements in specific experiments designed to look at one phenomenon. Things are different today. It's ludicrously easy to take millions and millions of measurements at finer and finer time intervals, uh, gigabytes and terabytes and petabytes of knowledge being taken. A petabyte is equal to 223,000 DVDs. If you stacked up that number of DVD discs, it would be equivalent to an 81-storey building, not all that much smaller than the Shard, the tallest building in London. In other words, a hundred years ago you were doing the experiment, you were doing the science at the same time. Now we record all the information and the science is done offline in the recorded data. Thankfully, computers don't get bored. And so we can set them running on these enormous sized data sets, ask them to find hidden structure, tease out patterns and information which would simply not be possible for a person to do even in their entire lifetime. Some neat examples of this tireless sifting and pattern spotting are to be found in Steve's work in astronomy and biology. There's a huge amount of data coming from radio telescopes. Um, they generate vast, vast data sets and trying to find interesting things in these enormous data sets is trying to find a really tiny needle which is thousands of light years away in an enormous haystack which is the size of the galaxy. I was privileged to be part of a team that discovered a, a fascinating phenomenon that we don't think anybody had found before 
which was a, a big clump, like a big asteroid, that was falling into a neutron star, something called a pulsar, uh, a star which had exploded, collapsed in on itself, so it's uh, uh, an enormously energetic, small, imagine something which is as heavy as the sun, but the size of a small town, and you get the idea of a, a neutron star and finding evidence of a big asteroid falling into this, spiralling in further and further in this enormous maelstrom of energy being emitted was really exciting. And we wouldn't have been able to do that without all of these techniques and recording things. Uh, on, the, on the more biological side, um, we do a lot of work trying to understand ecosystems from the sounds around us. When we go for a walk in the woods, we hear birds and uh, bugs chattering away and uh, we hear the sounds of nature. We also hear the sounds of uh, noise pollution of people, aircraft, cars and so on. Just by listening to a little snippet of this and knowing where it was recorded, we've been looking at ways in which we can tease apart these different sounds that gives us a really nice way of describing how polluted a noise environment is by how much unnatural noise, and I include that mainly kind of uh, human activity, machines and so on, but it also gives you an opportunity to work out what species are present, and most importantly, how many are present, and that's to do with the health of that ecosystem, and by seeing how that changes over time and across the world is a great way of monitoring changes in number of species and biodiversity and very important things if we're going to get a really good picture of what environmental change is meaning to our planet. So artificial intelligence is being used today, maybe not exactly in the ways we have come to expect from movies and books, but this use of artificial intelligence can give us some hope for the future. Imagine being able to take all the data that has ever been generated on on Earth and look for patterns which really address some of the big problems of, uh, that address all the big problems that face us as a species and our planet. Problems to do with trying to understand how we can uh, make sustainable water supplies, how we can feed an ever-increasing population and so on. Many of these big questions don't necessarily have answers that individual human beings can really tackle and come up with. There's simply so much information out there. Uh, maybe one of the great goals for artificial intelligence in the next 10 years and beyond is to try and find targeted, realistic solutions to some of the big problems of our planet. You've been listening to the Oxford Sparks podcast, narrated by me, Lou Sumner, and produced by the University of Oxford. For more fascinating science, visit oxfordsparks.net.